0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Functional Observations, a podcast for a dysfunctional time. We are your hosts, Anthony Donald and Donald Anthony. I'm Anthony Donald.
1: I am Donald Anthony.
0: And we're back. Here we are, episode two, second in hopefully a long series of fantastic audio entertainment. Um, the first episode was posted on Spotify today, Sunday, the day that we're recording this episode. And then we're going to post this episode tomorrow, Monday. And then after that, the regular schedule will be. Um, every Monday we will up a new episode on um, now, Spotify, and hopefully in the near future Apple Podcasts. So stay tuned for that, listen to this on your favorite audio platform. We're not picky about it, just as long as you listen to it.
1: Exciting. Exciting stuff.
0: So, uh, where do we want to begin this week? Um, well, I think we should say that we are not broadcasting from our usual space of right. our table in our backyard. Yeah. It's been a little stormy these past few days here in Anywhere America. Raining, thundering, cats yes. and dogs and the like. Soggy. Soggy. It's been soggy. And, you know, the greater injustice is that we have been able to take our lunch or dinner outside, as we are wont to do most of the time.
1: Mm-hmm. We like it all fresco.
0: We certainly do. Uh, so we just finished our lunch at our kitchen table where we eat, you know, when mm-hmm. it's cold outside. Soup. Soup. We had a really lovely <laughs> bean soup. And then over a nice piece of, like, rustic peasant bread, you know, mm-hmm. very crispy Gonzaga situation. It was quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think mom made that.
1: Yeah, lots of leftovers. Looking
0: forward to it. Looking forward to that. And then tonight, I mean, it is Sunday after also, I mean, maybe right after this podcast, maybe we might take a little respite. but we will be making a dough of pasta, pasta dough, excuse me, rolling it out to making some lasagna. And so last week we did a very nice special amount with mushroom sauce, and I think this week we're going to switch it up and do a bechamel again, but with a pasto because uh, we've got some basil from probably a nursery or something that's just been growing like weed and uh, got to get
1: rid of it. In our herb garden. Herb garden. Yeah. So, Looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, let's go over the week that was.
0: What did uh, you get to this week?
1: Lots of work, lots of uh, reporting and writing, uh, some fun stuff some tedious stuff, Um, interviewed briefly. I should back up. Called a a local establishment, wanted to talk to one of the uh, employees to do a feature story. Wanted to do a a feature on a nurse. And so receptionist picked up the phone. I identified myself. And she uh, repeatedly referred to me as ma'am. And so this has happened probably a dozen or 15 times over the years, and I'm getting a little worried about that. So you're
0: concerned with your feminine sounding voice, not that there's anything wrong with that? No, no,
1: not threatened, um, but a little concerned.
0: Yeah. So why are you so concerned that you sound feminine over the phone? Does this happen in person? Like, you say, like, if you're introducing yourself to an individual, do they like, uh, mark upon the high quality of your voice? No, they
1: don't. No. That so much have something to
0: do with the telephone. Could be. Could and be it, the phone. I was listening back to the podcast, and I, mean, I think your voice sounds relatively normal. I, mean, you know, I wouldn't okay. be suspicious about it.
1: Okay, because I, I was just thinking that you know maybe I ought to affect some kind of commanding, authoritative voice, maybe like Walter Cronkite. I think that'd be strange. It would be? I think so. Okay. okay. You sound
0: like, you, you know, oh, what's Elizabeth Holmes, um, she was the founder and CEO of Theranos, it was this company, um, that developed apparently this revolutionary way to do blood tests Right. in the medical field. So She's in
1: jail now, right? Or uh, She's she was charged with a bunch water. of crimes. But they, I mean, for
0: those who don't know, Theranos' idea was we can do a uh, whole list of blood tests. Mm-hmm. So if, you, so if for example, you go to the doctor now, they will right. get some Hilly-C-Long needle and draw out a vial of your yeah. most precious humors, and then they'll send it off for testing. Um, her idea was that what well, if we just do like, a minuscule amount of blood? Mm-hmm. Uh, Apparently, you can't do this. Not that we're experts on medical technology, but other people who know more than us said you know, that does, that's not true. Right. She was, I mean, and then there was a book called Bad Blood, and then an HBO miniseries detailing yeah. the indiscretions and the failings of this company.
1: Wall Street Journal reporter did the definitive book, which yes. you read. Yeah,
0: about two summers ago, when I was working a different job. Um, so, uh, both in the book, the series and newspaper articles, um, And in the miniseries on HBO, they really got into the persona of Elizabeth Holmes and how strange it was. Um, She dressed very consciously like Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computers. Interesting. And then also affected her voice uh, to such a degree that she tried to pitch it down very low. So uh, if she had a very high voice, naturally in any interview she gave, she would try to pitch
1: it down very low. Which you thought was peculiar. Everybody thought it was peculiar. And therefore you, you discouraged me from taking on um, a deeper, um, you know, more, dare I say, manly or a masculine voice. I
0: think it would be, I mean, I don't think there's a need for it. I think it would be strange. Yeah, just just use your voice. I think Go with what I've got. Who cares if people think you're a woman with a telephone? I mean, Yeah of no consequence. All right. Be, okay, com- be confident in
1: yourself. I'm trying. There you go. That's all we can, all we can do. Yes, that's right. So um, what have you been doing this past week? Not much. Um, I've been
0: volunteering for a local organization um, that is funded by the hospital, mm-hmm. and they connect volunteers with a specific skill set to right. nonprofits in the area that... Need that skill set. That's part mm-hmm. of the role, and then they also fund grants and projects and other things. Mm-hmm. So I've been working with a couple of government agencies to do some data analysis, yeah. and, uh, data structuring projects, right. which has been rewarding. And then we've um, we as a family have continued watching Monk for the past few days, and I took it upon myself to learn the theme song to the first season of Monk.
1: And, and you've done it quite well. I do what I can with what I have. Oh. Yeah. By the way, yeah. we, we used that phrase last week mm-hmm. and and I was straining to, to recall when I first heard it mm-hmm. and to whom it's attributed. The boxer, Joe Lewis. All right. Yep. You're in good company. Hey. So who
0: Joe Lewis was he predated Muhammad Ali? Oh yeah, okay. long
1: time. Yeah, yeah. It's called the Brown Bomber. Okay. Um, arguably the best, although mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a coin toss with with Joe and Muhammad. I can imagine people have really
0: intense opinions that they'll defend this the hilt about boxing, so right. we'll not, just band that about decent. whatever we want. <laughs>
1: That's
0: right. <laughs> uh, but getting back to matter at hand, so the Monk theme song is this lovely little piece of gypsy jazz, um, which is a style of guitar probably most famously attached to a guitarist named Django Reinhardt, who was a French guitarist in the 1920s and 30s. He was um, very influential on the way that Billy Nelson our, another favorite of ours um, plays guitar. And then, also I think, probably most famously, to people who don't follow that style of music, it was seen heavily in the soundtrack to A Night in Paris, uh, the Woody Allen film of 2012. So. Yeah. Okay. So that's Good. kind of the style. I think it's, it's just like a trio of upright bass player, mm-hmm. a fiddle player, a violin player. And the guitar player that traditionally uses a kind of a classical guitar so instead of so i play a steel string guitar um mm-hmm. in the kind of the gypsy jazz style you play right. a classical guitar which has either nylon or even more traditionally probably yeah. like cactus strings because they have a different quality to the notes so,
1: so who composed don't mean to throw you a curve the uh, the monk theme song Actually, i have it pull on my laptop in front of me i think you can look it up relatively and, and what we noticed last night i think um after mm-hmm. uh, season one mm-hmm. the program abandoned mm-hmm. the theme song mm-hmm. substituted with a song by Randy Newman of, uh, excellent uh, musician toy story Fair. yeah you got right. a friend me
0: right uh apparently the monk theme song is written by a
1: man named jeff beale beale, beale. jeff beale i don't think he's french but i could be wrong huh we know nothing else about Beale. Nothing else. Okay. He's an enigma wrapped in mystery. Yeah. So, so you mastered um, season one's monk theme. Well,
0: that's a bold word to use, but okay.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, what else have you been up to this week? What have you been up to? Because... Talked, you talked about your various projects.
0: Uh, I'm still reading Moby Dick. Yeah. The, the war continues apace. Right. I think, what's it?
1: So. And the beast has been slain? Not yet. That comes, you know,
0: in the closing pages. I think, um, I was thinking about this the other day, about reading a long book, mm -hmm. about how it requires, um, there is, in the process of reading it, there's like a forced meditation upon the book because it's of such a length. It can't be done in one sitting. You have to do it over the course of a, if not a few days, a few weeks.
1: Yes. And so because
0: just the nature of the piece of work itself requires, you know, a long time to adjust it, there's this forced reflection meditation on the book, so... You know, if you're having, if you're reading a section, you have, as I did last week, and I think I talked about it on the podcast, where I was seeing these obvious Shakespearean allusions, where he's literally structuring chapters like a Shakespearean scene or a soliloquy, mm-hmm. and the kind of the more subtle, but still, you know, fairly obvious allusions to Milton's uh, Satan from the epic, synthetic epic poem, um, Paradise Lost. Now, um, as you get further in the book, and the encyclopedic quality of it becomes more apparent, I mean, my interpretation of what Melville's is doing is shifted right. just by the nature of you know, the length of the book. And now it, it's interesting to kind of look at it as using whaling as this lens from outside of society through which to study all aspects of society, whether that right. be scientific inquiry, uh, pseudoscience, like phrenology or physiognomy, the study of phrenology in the case, the shape of the skulls to determine character traits, Phrenology, the study of facial features, to human character traits, fundamentally racist uh, ideas, but very popular at the time Melford was writing his book. And weirdly enough, appeared a lot in uh, Impressionist paintings, specifically in the Look at the God, I think Renoir, but you know, a topic for another time. And um, art, so, getting to, can kind of recap, so science, the sciences artistic uh, discovery,
1: politics,
0: mm-hmm. societal thoughts, uh, even myth making and ancient history. All are have an, a way of whaling. Works its way into whaling becomes a lens through which to study all of these elements. And Melville seems to come to the conclusion, or suggest the conclusion, that all of these human conceits aren't enough to capture, understand this raw power of nature. It's ultimately it's a folly. We can no matter how clever we think we are, no matter how deaf we think our artistic skills become, we can never get to naturalistic truth. In this case, the natural truth of a whale.
1: So uh, what's old Ahab up to now? As you read, what's he? Not much. He's kind, of, he's
0: kind of dropped out from the narrative for the past couple hundred pages because, well, uh, not to spoil anything for these people, but you know the book was written in 1851. Um, they spent a lot of the last pages like they captured a whale, the Pequod, the boat itself, and then uh, Ishmael the narrator who spent quite a bit of time discussing the dissection of the whale, uh, breaking down in pieces into blubber and then little interstitial chapters about like alluding to philosophy or like other encounters with the ship. So Ahab is kind of a minor character uh, for the past couple hundred pages, but you know, still a presence that looms large over the ship and its inhabitants.
1: So, interested in seeing the, uh, the movie version of Moby. movie? The Gregory Peck? Yeah, Gregory Peck? I guess. I don't yeah. know. We'll see. I haven't seen it in a long, long time. My mm-hmm. recollection was it was pretty well done.
0: All right. And are you still reading um, in Patagonia?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to wrap that up and uh, uh, probably uh, going to read um, Charlotte's Web, probably for the 10th or 15th time. I, mean, I think, I
0: mean, even though it is a book for children, a masterful, masterful, piece of literature.
1: Oh, yeah, it's great. Fun read. Fun read.
0: Well, I think, you know, that's interesting. I think to kind of tie this in, we look at by the book, by the New York Times quite a lot. and often often I critique it for its lackluster guess guess and their
1: answers. Yeah, we should say that it's a Q and A format with a writer typically who has a recently published book. And uh, there are highs and, lows. highs and lows. Well, a series of questions all pertains
0: to reading. So um, mm-hmm. what are you reading right now? What's, a what's class, on your nightstand? What's a classic book that you don't like? Is there something yeah. that you should read before you're 21? Is there something you should read after
1: 40? Right. Um, do you find a book that's very funny? If you could invite three writers to a meal, living uh, or dead, which three? Maybe um, I'll ask you that. If, if you could host a dinner for three writers living and or dead take a stab
0: that's a, so not, not to, to i mean i think in critique after i give my answer we'll critique the answers that, that the the people give, answer, give and not to be around the bush. i think it's you know it's difficult to choose whether you want to pick writers that you're interested in or you do you want writers that would lead to a good conversation like i'm very interested for example i'm very interested in Fyodor dostoevsky yes but I think you'd be like a very poor dinner guest because you'd just be sulking in the corner and talking about you know, the moral corruption of Russia in the face of industrialization, mm-hmm. which you know, doesn't really sing at a dinner party.
1: No, and I think for me, uh, the, the risk is that writers I admire, um, similar to what you're saying, um, might be a real disappointment in the flesh. And so um, I'd have to be careful i think about what i wish for so not dice but but are there writers maybe you would like to hang around with
0: I so i think we picked Thomas pinch now he's a writer who's not been photographed since 1950 and not really been seen in public actually school. you know uh,
1: one of the uh, tabloids you know Good. the super rag tabloids mm-hmm. got a photograph of him several years ago with his son his only child mm-hmm. uh, but you're right uh notoriously reclusive <laughs> Um, not been photographed more than a half a dozen times, probably, um, but so Pinchon would be Pinchon, on the uh, dinner guest list. So because beat, Salman Rushdie, Rushdie uh, I
0: think,
1: think Pinchon,
0: I forget how I have, this works, but, have, but either Pinchon, Pinchon wrote a review of Raman Rushdie's books or Rushdie wrote a review of one of Pinchon's books and through some, some circumstances such as this, uh, Pinchon, Pinchon invites Salman Rushdie, Rushdie to have dinner with him and Russia said he was exactly who I wanted him to be, wonderful conversationalist. Okay.
1: So,
0: so that gives me hope that he, you know, he can, carry, he can, can carry a conversation. Yeah, good. good. So I think I'd invite Pinchon, just to All see what's right. banging around that little head of his. Yeah, what else? Or who else? I, I think I invite uh, Vladimir Nabokov, okay. a writer of Lolita, um, most famously uh, pale, Fire probably secondarily, and then his uh, memoir autobiography, Speak Memories, Speak Memories, memoir autobiography. Yeah. Uh, because he he is an incredibly well-read individual, as evidenced by Lolita and the multifaceted allusions he makes. Uh-huh. Um, he mm-hmm. speaks multiple languages. Yeah. He's also, uh, I believe, I think it's called a. Um, lepidiatrist?
1: Yeah. yeah, butterfly guy. He, he loves, loves butterflies. Into butterflies. butterflies. In fact, I think there's a butterfly named after him. I know there is, um, because he discovered it her. Mm-hmm. It's some involvement in its discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Pinchon. So, pinch so
0: he has a lot to talk about.
1: Yeah. His books are funny. He's obviously literate. literate, a Cornell-lit mm-hmm. professor. I bet he talks to people that I you know Here Here's a little uh, nugget for you. Pinchon took a class with Nabokov mm-hmm. at Cornell. Was that Nabokov, it? I don't remember him. I was that, that with Richard, with Richard Farina? Farina? Yeah, okay. Richard Farina. Yeah, been
0: down so long, it looks like up to, up to me. me. And also I mean, also famously talked about and positively Force Street* <laughs> that, that book, book about Pinchot Joe Mimi Baez, uh-huh. Farina, and then Dylan. Yeah. Nobody, Nobody came off good in that book.
1: No, no. Uh, cutthroats almost. Climbers.
0: Well, I think, uh, just, so Joan Baez, um, oh, yeah, it's Baez, excuse me, Joan Baez, uh, there's this story, she, she went to Boston University for, and uh, this is within the book itself, possibly 4th Street, which is the name is of Dylan Song, but also the name of this book. Uh, so she was a student at uh, Boston University, mm-hmm. and she was, like, roommates with another who sang and played guitar. Joan Baez, obviously, sang and played guitar. And so, and so they would, they would go to, like, these little, Coffee shops, shops put mics together. together. They would play, play the play songs, songs. Oh, um. okay, back and forth. And so, then one night, um, Joan Baez has like a, a gig. let just call her Joan. 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 Yeah. Joan. Yeah. We're, we're on first name basis at this point. Um, she goes to a gig at like a fraternity and starts playing all of her roommate's songs in front of her, and they never spoke again.
1: And that roommate. Was to po- was supposed to follow Joan on the stage that night, if I'm not oh, mistaken, right? Just I stole, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, stole her show, yeah, yeah. literally. So,
0: huh. fun gal.
1: Yeah. All right. So that's so you got two. You got on Nabokov. What about number three? I would I would pick a William Makepeace Thackeray. Okay.
0: Probably most famous he
1: wrote Vanity
0: Fair. Okay. Um, He's he's a funny guy. He's quick-witted, a little cheeky, a yeah. little funny. So I think he'd be very good dinner person. Have a dinner, and also he writes very good books. Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. Those are my three. Okay, I would uh, I would probably unquestionably um, Shakespeare okay. would be number one, mm-hmm. followed by Mark Twain, and uh, I'm leaning toward Pinchon, but again, a uh, little concerned that. Um, he uh, might lay an egg. Uh, But based on what you said, was it Rushdie who had lunch with Pinchon and Mm -hmm. hit it off with him? So yeah, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to go with Pinchon. They'd be my one, two, and three go-to authors for dinner. So Shakespeare, Pinchon, and the third? Uh, Mark Twain. Mark Mark Twain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I think what we just demonstrated there is what... Not a lot uh, of people who do buy buy the book do, which is answer the question. Quite
1: Quite right. Yeah, Yeah. and in in fact, this (laughs) most recent installment, Mm -hmm. what's today? Uh, The Uh, 15th? 15th? Yeah, 16th. 16th, 16th. So they do come out on Sundays? Uh, Yeah. They post, I think, Thursday or Friday, published Mm -hmm. in the paper on Sunday, but uh, this week's uh, Buy the Book is an absolute stinker in my view. For the very reason you mentioned just a minute two ago, and that is there seems to be just a refusal to answer the question, mm-hmm. not to go along with, with the game. Yeah. So.
0: Which is I mean the, I point, the point is we're asking questions for you to answer them because people do might find this fun, enjoyable, and like you know, mm-hmm. why would I answer that? Right. I, think I think most often so, so they ask, ask a question, what, what book should a person read before mm-hmm. the twenty one years of age? Right. And I, I think, think the most common question is, is I couldn't recommend a book that everyone should read because everybody's different. It's like yeah. Obviously, we're just, we just trying to have fun. We're just just say, show us, and move on. Or most recently, *The Catcher in the Rye*. Right. You know, the, the book that's written for you as a teenager.
1: As that's a, right. Ed, White said that. Said ago. that. Yeah. Two weeks ago. You're right.
0: And then also, um, very often they will talk about books that no reasonable person would ever read, even though there is. So there is a question where, what's a book that no one has ever heard of that you like? That's, like that's an actual a question, question, which is not opportunity to be as you know, pedantic and pretentious as they possibly can. But, but, then, I, but,
1: but, but mm-hmm. oh, all right, go ahead. You finish then, your thought.
0: I then they expand to the whole
1: Q&A. A. It's like, like let, let me just say things that no one has ever heard of. Right, right. right. I think and, there's and a and little to bit to of here. that, yeah. maybe a lot of it. But I find it uh, enlightening mm-hmm. um, to learn from well-read folks books that they admire but I've never heard of. Uh, that inclines me to find out and mm-hmm. to search mm-hmm. uh, those books and uh, and see, you know, um, are they what they're cracked up to be or not? So, um, yeah, pretentious sometimes, but informative um, as well. I think
0: our favorite, that like, we've really read these people to fill through most of this podcast for saying what books they like, I think, but let you know, let's be positive for a little bit, I think our favorite, collectively, you and I, um, our favorite by the book was by Nathan Lane, actor extraordinaire because it's, it's funny,
1: it's clever. It's, it's yeah. genuine. It's genuine. Yeah. yeah it's unpretentious. Mm-hmm. I, it, now, he, he's a guy you'd like to have dinner with, exactly. I think. Yeah. Be a hoot. He'd be a hoot.
0: A hoot and a half. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've talked enough about books for people today. Uh, what else? What else do you want to get off your chest?
1: NBA. NBA? We yeah. talked a little bit about the NBA last week. Things have changed. Things have changed. Obviously.
0: Things have changed. So we talked about how they were doing a series of eight seating games for the twenty two teams invited to the bubble in Walt Disney World. Those seeding games concluded on Friday. There is a play-in for the West the final position Western Conference um, on Saturday, which the Portland Trailblazers won. And now tomo- tomorrow, which will be Monday, uh, the playoffs begin. So we're going to you will get to the meat of the issue very shortly. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. And we talked about your favorite team, the Celtics. Boston Celtics. Uh, Mm -hmm. Any reason to be uh, more excited, more confident about their prospects today than a week ago? Sure,
0: so the Boston Celtics are the third seed in the Eastern Conference. We'll be playing the sixth seed, Mm -hmm. the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, during the regular season, um, the Celtics and the 76ers played four times, and the 76ers beat the Celtics three out of those four times. Which was concerning. However, the, uh, one of Philadelphia's best players, if not their best player, Ben Simmons, injured his knee and will no longer be playing. So he had to have surgery. He tore his meniscus. He's out for the rest of the, the rest of the season. And so that leaves Philadelphia with their other excellent player, Joel Embiid, a center, and then a bunch of players who are either journeymen who have glaring holes in their game or haven't lived up to the expectations uh, that they carried when they were brought onto the team. And so, you know, if you ask me this question, say in G- February, January this year, like, oh, you have to play the 76ers in the playoffs. I mean, that'd be the worst possible scenario. But now, given this injury to Ben Simmons and how the rest of the team has kind of played out over the intervening months and specifically in this bubble, I'm feeling more confident because... Uh, the Celtics have five players who can run the offense equally well. And so if one player is feeling that night, um, there's four other people who can carry that burden for them. And they present a mismatch, no matter how the 76ers line up defensively, they to present a mismatch uh, on the offensive end that the 76ers can't account for. So I'm feeling very confident about this first round series. Good. But not hopefully, so I don't want to get hit myself.
1: So there are three rounds? There are three rounds.
0: So there's a the first round, a conference semifinals, a conference finals, and then uh, the finals
1: themselves. So best of seven for all three? It's mm-hmm. a lot of basketball. A lot of basketball. I'm not complaining though. No yeah. one else is. Yeah. So when will the networks pick up or have they been broadcasting?
0: They've been broadcasting. So ESPN and TNT broadcast. Well, what day.
1: about the big three? CBS, NBC, ABC.
0: So... ABC is the only major network that has a contract with the NBA, and they usually televise games on Sunday
1: afternoons, during but, the playoffs, and then all the finals are on ABC. Great, because we don't have ESPN, we do have ESPN at, home. at home. We abandoned It's a tough one. Yeah. It's a sinking ship, it sounds like, though. I guess. Yeah. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll just scramble to put anything on
1: right. television at this point,
0: yeah. as you know, everybody is.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah. any big surprises, any big disappointments so far?
0: There's no... I think the biggest appointment was the New Orleans Pelicans. Um, So, to recount what we talked about last week, they lost their franchise player, Anthony Davis, but they gained a new one, Zion Williams, in the draft. And so they're this young team, a lot of talent, unproven, that was looking forward to rise, rise in the rankings. And so they started off the season a bit poorly because Zion had injured his knee and had to miss the first 44 games of the season, Unfortunate by any measure.
1: Is he uh, 100%? Well, we'll get to that.
0: And so, the first half of the season for the Pelicans was really an unmitigated disaster. I think they had like a 13-game losing streak at one point. They were 3-26. It was not good. And so, halfway through the season, Zion comes back, and they start winning. He's putting up 25 points a game. Turned around. It's a great thing. And so, they were, I think, in either 10th or 9th place, going into the bubble, and were considered favorites to, if not, if to to make the playing game, if if only to make the playing game, maybe also get to the playoffs. And then they just fell apart. Um, Playing sloppily, playing lethargically, Zion was not 100%, his knee was acting up. Um, He was playing limited minutes throughout the games, just not good. Bad all around. Mm. Stuff. And so then they fired their coach, Alvin Gentry, yesterday. And now they are, you know, looking for looking for a new skipper to rate right the ship. Right. So we'll see how it goes for them. Good. Good. But the biggest, I think, the biggest story of the bubble so far is Portland Trail Blazers guard Damian Lillard. Um, fantastic player, one of my favorite players in the league. He had a series of games where he scored 42, 51, 61. No, excuse me, 52, 51, 61, 42. Thirty-one, team one hundred and four. Really big numbers. Big numbers. Very large numbers. Um, he was he was just and doing crazy things. Like he there was this one play against the Nets two, three days ago where he was getting trapped or double teamed as soon as he crossed half court by the Nets, so they keep the ball of his hands and force everybody else on the Blazers to beat them instead of Damien. and so there was a. One time, he's taking the ball off the court and there's a miscommunication, so he didn't get the trap, immediately started at half court. So he took a dribble past half court, pulled up for three, and that didn't even move, hit it.
1: Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Good, so what now, else is- so now the Blazers are in the uh, Western Commons playoffs.
0: We're, we're looking to Boston upset the Lakers, your favorite team.
1: Uh-oh, I don't wanna hear that, <laughs> don't, don't like it. Mm-hmm. So what else is going on these days? You went out and you did you ran this morning, I did, did you run not? This morning. I and did. and typically um length? I think about three miles. Three Gave miles. Into it. Good, good. Yeah. good. Uh conditions conducive to running? Yeah, it was too? a lovely day. About mm-hmm. seventy degrees, uh-huh. which is perfect.
0: So you know it's not
1: Not a lot of humidity though?
0: I mean it's, it's damp. Yeah. Like I have a
1: buddy who's mm-hmm. was an, a magnificent um cross country runner. And and track and field, I guess too. Uh and uh, he said that when it when it comes to running you sort of have to pick your poison in, in the morning it's cooler mm-hmm. but you have to battle the humidity mm-hmm. uh, later in the day um, no humidity but hot as you know keep it, hot as Hades. Yeah. Uh, yeah yeah it's difficult did you have any thoughts or preferences
0: i prefer i mean i think the heat is the worst part of it cuz that would you know that's what get you sweating so like, it's like it's you know maybe an old wives tale but it's kind of a rule of thumb that when you're running, it feels as if you were 20 degrees warmer and you were walking. So if you're running when it's 70 degrees outside, it feels like you're walking when it's 90 degrees outside. And so- It's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Big difference. But You get your blood up, you move in mm.
1: with great alacrity, speed. Do, so do you run two, three times a week, four times? I run
0: three days on, one day off. So try about six times a week.
1: Okay. You gotta yeah. keep it. Got to keep it going, Got. can't pause, pause. can never
0: stop, Mm -hmm. can never stop running. That's a functional observation for you.
1: Yeah, and uh, lots of folks uh, out and about, hustle and bustle in Old Town, or how would you? I think um, uh, relative
0: to other days, no. uh Uh, Simply because it's raining, people don't go outside. (laughs) People (laughs) are more deterred by the rain than they are by the coronavirus, but you know, that's just what it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And now, do you just enter a zone or do you listen to stuff? I listen to like music.
0: Um, but eventually, like if you get going long enough and you ready to lock in, you just forget what's happening around you. You kind of, you almost black out and you're like, where am I
1: 10 minutes later? So, so what do you listen to typically when you run? It depends. Um, I Does like the word, word playlist apply or sure. not really? I mean, I'll switch between songs,
0: uh, depends. I have this. I have. I've had this playlist for a while, where it's this rap group called Run the Jewels, and then a, an album of theirs. They're all like self-titled, and then Joni Mitchell's Blue. Um, and we'll do. I'll intercut those songs, so it will be a song by from Joni Mitchell, song by Run the Jewels, song by Joni Mitchell, song by Run the Jewels. And so,
1: for those, of I, you know, I don't know. I know Joni Mitchell's, Joni Mitchell's music. Mitchell. What about the other group? you just Very mentioned? intense, high level,
0: like. Uh, and the Joni Mitchell's like, oh, very soft and sad. mellow, mellow. So, but this
1: sounds a little schizophrenic. Yeah, yeah
0: that's, that's the, the point. <laughs> so, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> why? Because a, it's, a, it's, it's just it's a physical, physical workout. It's, it's an emotional way, one as well. So you feel thirty, 30 minutes of that, you're just
1: drained. Yeah, yeah, but I would think you'd want to be on an even plane. So Joni Mitchell is more Zen-like, yeah. and once you find your groove, you're in a zone. Don't you want to just stay there? Yeah, I mean, I just be
0: lulled. Well, it depends. I think it depends. Like, so I used to run like six or seven miles a day, six mm-hmm. days a week, and I was listening to a lot of podcasts then because if you're going for like that distance, you just want, like, as you said, you want to like, basically just go unconscious. So the like podcast is very level. If you just, check, so you just yeah, on. you just kind of find your groove. You veg out, and then you know you get your run in. If I'm running short distances um, like this, I want to not just get in the groove, but like keep that intensity up. So this vacillation between moods and the music keeps 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 the blood boiling, so to speak.
1: Okay, and I like that. Good, good. Now this is this is uh, a hilly town in places, mm-hmm. but they can be avoided. Do you uh, do you just run just straight and- up like
0: Evan Hillary? I run it up. I run up because it's there. Very macho. No, uh, no hill will deter me. So, you know, in Charlotte, I mean, I, I, went to University and I ran in Charlottesville, and that's all hills. It's just up and down. Up, it's brutal. Up and down, up and down yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Walking for me in Charlottesville is a strain.
0: Yeah. Well, so we're sitting, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we're sitting in uh, or upstairs, like in the middle floor, instead mm-hmm. of, you know, out kitchen back, table. at the kitchen table. And we're looking out of this window, and a spying a fig tree.
1: Here. Yeah, one of our uh, fig trees, uh, which is potted. There, there are three um, potted fig trees, mm-hmm. and we like to give them away, mm-hmm. and share the love. We've
0: really, really curtailed yeah, the, the operation, operation from earlier years. Want well, to speak to that?
1: Yeah, I dropped the ball this year. Uh, I uh, I potted a total of ten, mm-hmm. and. Uh, overwatered and drowned seven. (laughs) So the batting average, it really has dipped. But, uh, but you're right, for the most part, I've cut back. I was uh, maniacal about fig tree growing. I
0: remember, you know, a few years ago, there was 30 fig trees in the house, just clippings. There
1: were. Yeah, but, but here's the footnote. If you're all interested in growing fig trees, uh, find someone who has a mature tree, ask them for four or five cuttings, length of about 12 to 15 inches, mm-hmm. put them in a clear vase of water, mm-hmm. um, uh, and put them in front of a window. And, and you want to do that probably in November, and by December uh, those cuttings will be sprouting little, uh, little white um, roots, almost look like uh, bean sprouts. Um, so there's a uh, brief tutorial on, on how to cut and cultivate fig trees. But you're right, there, there was a point in which we had 30 of those babies going at mm-hmm. once.
0: And then also three
1: or four very large fig trees in the yard, yes, producing uh, almost a sinful amount of fruit. Oh, insane. Couldn't give it away fast enough. Mm-hmm. And a uh, uh, mom who is sensitive to bugs mm-hmm. and gnats um, pretty much said the tree had to go, or the trees had to go. Mm-hmm so we uh we whacked three mature fig trees like the Babel. babel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so but we do have we do have a fig tree uh, in the backyard by the back door and uh it's it's a dog we haven't seen a fig on that in mm-hmm. six years so i think that's going to be the and next victim the victim, victim probably to the piazzatina Piazza Yes, that's right. We're going to get a little patio and install patio, and, and which I, we've been told is going to revolution,
0: revolutionize our lives. It will. We're told like it's like
1: running. It's like a new running water almost. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, right. yeah. What else is on tap here? I mean, we've been cooking a lot this week as we usually do.
0: We have we've been doing. We do. we doing a lot of grilled chicken, of course. So this is a guy who has a vegetable. Well, originally had a vegetable stand a few years ago, where he would, you know. Naturally, sell produce yes. of a broad breadth of myriad you know, tomatoes, zucchinis, peppers, uh, oranges, not oranges, apples. Other you things. name it. You name it, he had it. And you could just go there, drop, drop some money off. You know, there's an audience, but sometimes you'd be there, chat it up. Anyway, he has since broadened uh, his goods on offer to include animal products as well. So eggs, milk, and also these wonderful chickens. Now, um, they are just clean, tight, really wonderful meat on these chickens. Bright looking chickens. Often,
1: Once a week? Once a week. Well, um,
0: twice. Twice, three times a week. Yeah. Well let's just say <laughs> we're known there. <laughs> kind of a big deal, the fruit stand. Here they come. They see us coming like, oh, it's gonna be a good day. Not as good as so anyway, so these chickens have been a huge hit. And to give you an idea of how big a hit there is, there's apparently this unknown Asian family. Apparently there's this unknown family who purchases 60 to 75 chickens a week and distributes them to various other members of the family. Yes. Big chicken people. Big chicken people. And so we only get two, so quite, quite poultry returns by comparison. And typically... Paltry, poultry, poultry. Poultry, poultry. Typically... Uh, that's,
1: that's three Ps. Poultry, poultry, purchases. Mm-hmm. We do love say say that five times uh, fast. We do love wordplay on this podcast, <laughs> yeah,
0: even when it's bad. But anyway, so um, we typically what I'll do is I'll spatchcock a chicken, um, which involves removing its backbone um, with a pair of poultry shears, and then kind of excavating its keel bone. So, if you're a human listening to this, you have what would be like your breastbone or your solar plexus connects to your ribs. You pop that out. Um, and then, so the chicken, the benefit of that is twofold. One, excuse me, I have, I have the hiccups. The benefit of that is twofold. So, by spatchcocking cockney, by taking out its backbone, by taking out its breastbone, you lay the chicken flat, completely flat. So, when the chicken is unmolested, um, it's kind of the cylindrical thing, you know, as a chicken is when it's alive. But by by taking out its backbone, by spatchcocking it, uh, you get it to lay flat, flat. so it cooks much more quickly and much more evenly. And by removing these connected bones, um, only skin is holding the chicken together, so it's very easy to, once you cook it, to cut it in half, quarter it, cut the breast in half, remove the legs. So it makes it very easy to break it down to pieces. And, even better, when you take these bones out, the meat kind of peels away from the skin both on the thighs and the breasts. So, so if you have like, some sort of seasoning so or rub, it's very easy to get, to get it all around the meat. So you get it very well seasoned the well it cooks up. quickly, easy can break down. Let me tell you, if you're not batch tracking your chickens, chickens, you're doing it wrong. And so we probably grill one of those at least once, more often than not two times a week. And they
1: are, Whew. <laughs> They're good. <laughs> Scrumptious. <laughs> now you, uh, you prepare a rub, I uh, do. are we talking too much about chicken or do you want to say something about no, seasoning? No, I'll speak on the rub. So as with any meat, salt and pepper,
0: teaspoon per pound just to get that flavor going. And then for the chicken, and what's nice about chicken is that it's a very mild meat, um, so it will take any season you want to give it. So for the chicken on the grill, typically I'll do rosemary, sage, parsley, um, lemon, and then olive oil. Rub all over that. Let's for like an hour throw it on the grill. Good to go. Easy enough to do. So I think that's that's everything we wanted to cover today. I think I think we've covered all the bases. All right. Again, this is fungal observations. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week on Spotify right now. Soon to be on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen, we're there.
1: Can't wait. Can't wait. All right, bye.